Kieran Gary, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter, from their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at to the person they always laugh with. She was one of these, you know, eccentric grannies who lived out in the country, and from listening to lots of radio and BBC, she talked like that. And that's what Michael D uh, developed into. So I loved her very deeply, and uh, but she was as mad as a box of frogs. He tells me about the harsh realities of childhood on a farm, the significance of Nat King Cole at his granny's funeral, and how everyone, no matter who they are, needs a champion in their life. I hope you enjoy. Mario Rosenstock, you are very welcome to the laughs of your life. Well, I'm delighted to be here, Dern, and I've heard so much about this podcast and everybody's talking about it. You're the rage of podcasts oh, at the moment. Stop it. You are. Oh, thank so, you. So onwards and upwards, eh? Exactly. Um, we haven't even started and I was crying laughing there a couple of seconds ago, <laughs> uh, which is what I was what I was looking forward to. Oh, yeah, that's interesting because this is all about laughter. Yeah. I actually did a tiny bit of research on laughter before I came in and some of the stuff I knew, but it's... Um, you know, it's, it's, it, laughter is like a disease as well. And like a lot of diseases, it can be contagious. Like when you're, people can catch laughter off each other. And um, I've always talked to people and they said, what's it like being a comedian to walk out in front of a large amount of people? And I went, easier than it is to walk out in front of seven people. You try to walk out in front of seven people and make them laugh. That's a tough job. Walk out in front of a thousand or two thousand. Well, the laughter is contagious. Yeah. People are sitting beside each other like sardines and they're laughing and that leads other people to laugh. Totally. And then laughter is a kind of a communal activity and it makes you feel better, makes you live longer. It de-stresses you. It's hormonally very good for you. It then releases endorphins, dop- dopamine. Um, melatonin helps you sleep um, it brings us closer together as people um, it brings communities closer together um, it makes us see things that we have in common together it releases tension it releases defensiveness it makes us more loving um, outgoing uh, giving and it's pretty much one of the greatest things that human beings have although not exclusively humans I think some animals laugh as well we often see monkeys and chimpanzees cackling and I think they do. They do. They do laugh. I don't know if dogs laugh or cats laugh. Um, the cat laughs in Kilkenny, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if any other animals pretty much laugh. Maybe people could ring into your, or ring into you. I'm 1983. <laughs> uh, maybe people could contact you on 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 social media there. So sh- well, and I, tell you if other animals laugh. I think you've uh, beautifully summed it up. So we'll leave mm. it there, Mario. Thank you. Good luck. <laughs> Talk to you later. Out the gap. Yeah, your next guy's at the door downstairs. <laughs> Okay, Mario Rosenstock. Yeah, I feel like my dad now. You've you've said this before about my dad. He oh, yeah. always calls you by your. your he does. Is that a <laughs> is that a country thing or a Claire thing? Your father Eugene, um, he's great. And I remember I had two experiences with your father Eugene years ago. I met him for the first time, and it was like <laughs> Mario Rosenstock, Mario Rosenstock, Mario Rosenstock. He says it about five different ways so he knows. And then the next thing he did was myself and Ian were um, having a few drinks and we were drinking actually all night at a, at a place in, in Marbella. And one of our um, colleagues fell asleep in the toilet. <laughs> he went to the toilet and he went, um, uh, I'm just going back, back in a minute. And he fell asleep. He went, where's Paul? And he went, uh, I don't know. So we went in and he was like the toilet door was, was, was closed in the, to- in the bar. And Eugene went, <laughs> leave this to me. So Eugene kicked the door down because he's like Popeye. He, he smashed the door down and just pulled Paul out of the toilet. Paul just resumed drinking again four minutes later. <laughs> Everything was fine. And then I think we stayed up for another three hours. But, but for Eugene kicking the door in, yeah, um, Paul, Paul would have just stayed there all night. Um, so, yeah, your dad, is, your dad is great and he has the best handshake ever. Yes. And, um, yeah, so he's, but he's, a, he's, he's, you know, and he has, a, for those of you listening out there, he, he, does he still have a big mustache? He does, oh, yeah, yes. Great. Not many people have mustaches anymore. <laughs> he can rock the mustache. Uh, it should have his own Twitter account, that mustache. I actually did Q&A on Instagram one day. One of the first questions was, how does Eugene keep his tash so immaculate? It is. It is immaculate tash. <laughs> Uh, but no, he's a solid unit, mm. as they say, and uh, <laughs> okay. and, uh, and and a funny guy. Yes. Okay. Let's get down to business. Yeah, uh, Mario, your first memory of laughter. Okay. So you gave us all. You gave me this homework to do. So I did think about it, and um, I think um, it's hard to know when people's memories really start. I think we have sort of blotchy visions from very very early on um, in our lives. But I think my first vision. A uh, memory of laughing is lying back uh, naked 
on a bed when I was probably about 18 months old, looking up at my auntie, giggling in her face as she changed my nappy on my grandmother's bed in Waterford on the farm. So I started kind of grew up on a farm and I just remember kicking my legs and she was tickling me and just giggling up at her as she changed my nappy. And her name is Caroline and she's still one of my closest relatives and we have an awful lot in common and we speak kind of very, very deeply together about stuff. When I mean that, I mean, we laugh a lot together and we have great gossip. So that would be my first memory of laughing, laughing at my, I think, at my my auntie changing my nappy. But my my um my 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 memories then of of my childhood are from the farm and obviously there was a lot of laughter involved but i think having thought about this i think some of any kind of sometimes when you you go a little darker on your humor uh sometimes mm. that uh uh i may have developed the, the, a little bit darkness from my experiences on the farm yeah. and my experiences of farm life so i grew up with kind of not, not exclusively my parents. I kind of it was a complicated f- family situation, and I grew up with my granddad Sean, and I and my grandmother, um, my grandmother Dorothy, and their children as well, who were my aunts and my uncles. And we grew up on a farm in Waterford. And having thought about that now, I realised that I, I had a very peculiar but norm, normal farm upbringing. But a, but that is a peculiar upbringing to be brought up on a farm. Um, you live on a, that was 80 or 90, 100 acres. It was, so it was a medium to big farm, beautiful land. You'd go roaming in the fields. You'd sit alone under chestnut trees for hours. You'd while away the time. There were 15 dogs. There were 100 cows. Um, and things would happen which you would regard as normal. So, for example, every couple of months, one of the beautiful dogs, they were mongrels, but they were beautiful, might have a litter of litter or uh, puppies mm-hmm. and um you go out and you'd see the puppies in the dirt behind the, the um behind the trees and you'd look at them beautiful little puppies and you'd be just swooning over them and then my grandfather sean a couple of days later would come on come out and he'd go mom boy and we go what what's happening and he goes we're going down to the stream and i go why and he went for the puppies we can't keep them and I'd have fallen in love with the puppies for the two days, all different colours and shades and grey and whites and black and whites and black and browns. And they'd be suckling from their mum. And he'd put the puppies in a bag mm-hmm. and he'd bring me down to the stream and we'd drown them. And, uh, and, and, and it was just kind of a numbing experience. I didn't bawl or cry or anything. It was just kind of... And why w- would he bring you? Peculiar. I think it was just because, uh, just company, really, maybe for him. Or life lesson. I don't know if it was a life lesson. It may have been, um, but I think it was more company for him. Come on, by this has to be done. And uh, we go down and we drown the puppies. And from then on, it became, I'd, I'd say I did it seven or eight times, just drowning Stop. the puppies. And it became normal then to, to drown the puppies. And he told me why it was and I understood. But it's a strange feeling, killing animals. And did it harden you a bit or I did, wonder. did it get easier? No, oh, it got easier. It did it, Yeah, easier. of course, it became normalized. And it became part of a, an agricultural function that these things need to be. But anyway, so I wonder if those kind of things lead you to have a little macabre sense of, of humour at times because there were other instances and then uh, very funny ones as well. Yeah. Um, he'd go, oh, there's a fox apparently and go roaming and he'd go, uh, come on by. And uh, so out we'd go to the backfield with the shotgun where the fox was apparently and uh, we'd see the fox, here he is now by. And we'd see the fox in the distance, little red Reynard. And he let off, I remember only once it happened to me, he let off a shot and it hit the fox, but it didn't kill him. And the fox, wherever it hit him, on the head or something, the fox started spinning around Stop. like Kylie Minogue. <laughs> <laughs> Except without hot pants. <laughs> he wasn't that foxy. And he started spinning around. He must have spun around 14 times and then just hit the deck dead. And um, yeah, I remember that. I remember the fox spinning around. And then I remember another instance where I had a beautiful dog called Dusky mm. and it was a total mongrel, a little kind of Scottish terrier, very small, uh, brown, scraggly hair, but little you know, uh, uh, whiskers on him and stuff. And he was called Dusky and I actually put him into a sketch that I did on TV where I'm Miriam O'Callaghan and she's trying to make people cry on her interview show. Yeah. You had a dog called Dusky? He died, didn't he? And then the two people are going, yeah, Miriam, he did. <laughs> You're emotional, aren't you, genuinely? And um, so anyway, Dusky was my dog. And anyway, Dusky died. Mm. And so Dusky died and I was very sad. 
Um, and so my grandfather said, well, boy, it's time to bury him now. And I went, yeah. So we went out for a Mar yeah funeral out in the backfield. Me and Dadat, my, I used to call him Dadat, and uh, Dusky. And Dadat had, had, had uh, dug the grave. And uh, we put Dusky in. Only one problem. Dusky, the grave was a little small for Dusky. <laughs> <laughs> so we put the Dusky in and he's just kind of lying, sort of balancing on the sides of the grave. <laughs> and granddad uh, and my granddad said, oh, Jesus, by Dusky's not, not going in. And I went, oh, what now? <laughs> so he put his foot through Dusky. Oh, no. Right? No. Which is, this is not the end of it, dude. He put his foot through Dusky to make him down in the grave. The only problem was, when he put his foot through Dusky, you won't believe what happened. The last breath of Dusky came out of him. Because he had put him down on the stomach. He had had put his boot through his stomach. And as Dusky, the last I ever saw of Dusky, was a boot and Dusky going into the grave with this. "Ah!" And I just traumatised my last vision of Dusky is his nose disappearing into the darkness, going, ah! His last breath, which was basically air in his lungs. You know what I mean? I yeah, that. exactly. So Danny went, there he's gone. And then, and then the grandfather, typical dark Waterford humour. There, that's Dusky gone now, boy. That's Dusky gone now, boy. So that's Dusky oh gone. That is traumatising. It is traumatising. And because I only, I, that's because I did my homework for you. You see, underneath what I would do, uh, like you need, I would know by you, if you talk to Ian as well about this. I mean, there would be, you know, we 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 would talk a lot about stuff we can't put on the radio, and it would be dark humor. Yeah. And I, I mean, I have a whole ream, a whole um, surface of dark humor underneath the whole thing, which leads you to do humor because dark humor is 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 mischievous and it's uh, it's transgressive and it's subversive. Um. um and that's what keeps me alive in mm. terms of my humor. So all of this would have probably been nurtured or developed by the sense of darkness that an agricultural environment gives you. Because there is no, there's no mollycoddling in an environment like this. There's no protection from, you, your eyes can't see this. You're exposed to fairly serious shit involving life and death from an early age. But it's only when I thought about it to do your podcast and uh, I've, I've actually realised this. So in a sense, this is a form of therapy for me, dear. Good. I'm yeah. delighted. Yeah. Okay. Will we move along? Yeah. Mario, the first time you felt laughed at. Laughed at. Again, difficult to... I did think of two moments, um, but it was difficult to think of them. Uh, and not because I'm not a person who wouldn't be laughed at. It's because we don't like to remember things when we were laughed at. Mm-hmm. We, we blot them out of our memory. To protect ourselves. To protect ourselves. We go, I was never laughed at. And if I was, that's gone. I'd delete that from my files. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because we don't want to maintain um, sort of, dis- you know, disturbing memories like that where the last thing I want to be going is going on stage in front of people and going, this little thought, uh, ha- 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 this little thought occurs to be an image where they're all laughing at me and not with me. Yes. So I don't want that, Darren. No, definitely so not. If you're a comedian, the last thing you want to be is laughed at. <laughs> You know, so true. So, um, but I did come up with one, and um, it it it, led, it leads to two. But mm-hmm. when I first came from Waterford, um, my parents—I was living with my parents at the time—and we emigrated to Dublin, and because uh, it felt like emigration, and uh, came up at about twelve and a half, thirteen, thirteen years of age. So very hormonal, not hormonal, but very on the crest of of uh, puberty and. Adolescence. And I went to New Park School. Do you know New Park? Mm. Mm. Now, New Park would have been one of the edgiest schools in Ireland. Uh, the first comprehensive school in 1974, I think it started, and a mixture between boys and girls, secular, so multi-denominational, no religion. I had come from Christian Brothers in Waterford. Uh, I had come from a farm, and suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm with all these super uber hip, cool, kind of, you know, Dublin youngsters. Except I was from Waterford. So I came in and my first day in class, um, the teacher went, um, we'd like to introduce you to our new student. So in I walked with a bowler haircut, right? <laughs> a big green duffel coat down to the ground <laughs> and a huge briefcase. And they just 
laughed. You'd fit in perfectly like on Drury Street now if you rocked down the road. Like a hipster? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was a hipster in 1983. They <laughs> laughed out loud. So all of these people laughed out loud because they all had their ears pierced, their noses pierced. Because you could do this in New Park. It's freedom of expression. Yeah. Way before its time. Yeah. Um, their sleeves were cut off. You know, denim jackets all ripped, a car, ripped asunder. Holes all over the thing. ACDC everywhere. Um, you know, throwing stuff at each other. You know, spiked hair. You know, a lot of people look like early Adam from U2. Um, and, uh, and this was it. And this bowler hat walks in and they just laugh me out of court straight away. And, uh, but the thing was, within two weeks, I remember I had my ear pierced. I had spiky hair. You'd been moulded. Uh, not only moulded, I was, couldn't get it quick enough to fit in. And I remember getting off with two girls at the same night. Nice. At a party listening to Jump by Van Halen. Legend. Might as well jump. And I was just there. I got off with her. And then she went, do you want to get off with her as well? And I was there. What kind of amazing school is this? This is riotous rock and roll. This is when, you know, the way you used to get off. With, everybody used to get off with each other. Yeah. Um, when you're when you're really young, just yeah. before you're just before you get more serious about dating. Yes. The whole um, enterprise of kissing. And you just start trying it out with loads of people. Except it's tongues. It's like proper kissing. Gross. But you're this serial philanderer. Yeah. But it might be at the same room in the same night. Totally. Now, who did she get off with? John got off with Siobhan. Did you get off with her? Yeah, just over there. Do you want to get off with me? Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Washing machine vibes. quick. Dad is coming in. <laughs> and uh, so all the, so remember this, this, this kind of serial getting off with each other. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> about 13 and I just remember Jump by Van Halen and, so you uh, shifted two girls yeah at least and uh, <laughs> and then but, but they were more shifting me in the sense that they were I was kind of learning and I think they were coaching me almost you know that right. kind of thing okay, gotcha. a bit like um, Ed Sheeran um, uh, you know had my first kiss that night but I don't think I did it right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I think that's what happened to me I don't think I did it right but I mean I learned that mm. soon I was doing it right and uh, but yes, yeah, so that, that that was being laughed at. Yeah. Anyway, so I became what you, I, I I became in with the gang. Yes. In New Park, but two years later, I had to go down to change schools again. Two and a half, two years later, and I went to boarding school in Cork. Why did you have to? Well, it's a family thing, so okay. it's like um, it was complicated. My there were there were complicated living arrangements involving my mother and my father, and basically my brother and myself weren't really living in a stable situation, and. Um, we both basically it was decided by the, the family at large that we had to be kind of maybe moved down to boarding school to, to just take care of us. And um, so Rene went down, my brother Rene went down to boarding school first and he was there for a year before me. And then I was a D judged to that I would be next and I came down. So now I'm going down to Cork. So I was a, a country bumpkin bowler, ha- bowler hair coming from Waterford to Dublin. Yeah. Now I'm at an ACDC uh, listening shifting machine shifting machine with the sawn off t-shirts a spiky hair but by this stage 1985 I'm also a Don Johnson Miami Vice knockoff I'm wearing white flannel jackets and blue light blue flannel um, uh, trousers with uh, espadrilles <laughs> and I walk down to Cork to see my brother in a pl- or go down to Cork to see my brother in a play again I'm laughed at but this time it's reverse laughter they're all going who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> he's, he's like a cross between Michael Flatley and Michael Jackson walking in. I mean, you know, this is, I mean, I almost moonwalked into the place thinking I'm so cool, you know, with shifting machine written on my vest, you know. And they're, they're like, who's this fucker? This fucker's a fucking langer. This fella thinks he's fucking in Miami voice. And uh, where's Tubbs? <laughs> so I got laughed at again there. Right. So I suppose then when I ended up going to that school, I didn't change for them. So Good. No, I kept my ar- ar- arrogant Don Johnson persona. <laughs> um, and but that's good. It shows that you didn't really care. Like you, you, you kind oh. of were happy to do your own thing by that stage. Uh, no, I was more, I was more certain that the Dublin way I had was turned right into way. was the right way. <laughs> right. You know, There's no going that, back. That being ahead of them or... Being ahead of them was way better than me, way behind them. Right. And I my... bet you some of them started dressing like you then. Uh, perhaps. Um, <laughs> You're like, no, no. I don't know. Um, 
I, I don't necessarily think so. I think they would have felt I was I was possibly a bit uh, above my station, all right. right. But I don't know if they would have wanted to copy me. I said, "Your man is in his own world altogether. Like he thinks, you know, he thinks he's this and he thinks he's that." I mean, they brought bring it down to size very quickly in Cork. Yeah. Uh, so those are two occasions I remember being laughed at for both for different reasons. Mm-hmm. All right, Mario. So mm. moving along, the moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Mm. Well, I took a uh, I took a pointer from your notes, actually, because um, you said something even in your notes. You said it might be this. It might be that. It might be a granny. And and funny enough, it is my granny mm-hmm. um, because um, I was extremely close to my grandmother. I kind of mentioned her earlier on in my uh, in, in the podcast, my grandfather, Sean, and my grandmother, um, Dorothy, particularly my grandmother. I was very close with. She kind of helped me with my love of the arts very early on. I used to watch, listen to Radio 4 with her all the time and listen with mother and um, the archers and you know kaleidoscope and alistair cook's letter from america and she used to waffle on about all these great um matinee idols that she used to love hermione gingold and dirk bargart and um it's, it's partly how i developed my michael d impression by listening to her she kind of she talked kind of like that in a kind of an affected fish artistic accent even though she should have been taught in like that you know from Waterford. <laughs> but she was one of these you know eccentric grannies who lived out in the country and from listening to lots of radio or BBC, she talked like that. And that's what Michael D uh, developed into. So I loved her very deeply. and uh, But she was as mad as a box of frogs. And um, I wonder, so is that where you possibly I that think there's frog? definitely a t- slight <laughs> mad gene there. Um, but she also um, thought I was great. Mm-hmm. Really, she did. She really did think I was great. And she thought I was great at doing skits and acting. And she loved the way I looked. And she thought, I, you'd be great. You'd be great at that. You'd be great at so that. So she you, encouraged it. Really much. Really, very much so. Not only encouraged it, she championed me. She said, she, and she told me in no uncertain terms that I was brilliant to such an extent that foolishly I believed her. <laughs> <laughs> and I genuinely think it, 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 it had helped me to, um, in, in, to do it. Of course. Because even sometimes when I feel a bit under you know, doubting or just under the weather or whatever. Mm. I do think of her and she goes, I do think of her telling me you're brilliant. And I believe everybody, I've often said this before, but I I believe everybody in their lives needs a champion, whether it's your wife, husband, dad, mum, grandmum, granddad, friend, um, son, daughter. Everybody needs a champion, I think. Mm. Somebody who really, really believes in you. I mean, it's very rare you read, you read about or listen or to watch about somebody who's, who's, to use a term in the world, made it and not found that they've had somebody amazing behind them. You know, whether it's that old cliche of behind every great man is a great woman. Yeah. But that means something. You can't do things on your own in the world. You need people to enable you, embolden you uh, and encourage you and champion you. And, uh, and this, this was her for me, Dorothy, and her daughter as well, Caroline, who I mentioned earlier on before. Mm-hmm. But um, she used to love, um, she used to love um, the crooners as well and music. And she particularly loved Nat King Cole. And uh, she used to love Nat King Cole's voice. And, um, you know, she used to like Frank Sinatra's voice as well, but she didn't like Frank Sinatra, a bit of a hoodlum. And um, <laughs> yeah, so she she loved all that. But then, you know, she died uh, about 83, aged 83 or 84, I think. And um, she died and uh, we were very sad, but um, we brought her up to be cremated up in, uh, up in sort of, what's that, Ballantyre, I think it's around, the, the Ballantyre, somewhere like that. And um, so the family gathered there and it would have been one of those ones where the family is a little bit, they're not, we're not Waltons. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, we're, yeah. we're you know we're the the Harvey Wallbangers, but uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of you know is she going? Then I'm not going. Right. It's the cremation. <laughs> so people are reluctantly turning up, but the family are a little bit you know bonkers. Yeah. So it was about sixteen. It was there anyway. You know how are you? Jeez. God, keep your head down. He's mad. <laughs> And we're all gathered around in a semicircle and then her, her coffin is in front of us in a semicircle and the coffin is in between the semicircle and the priest is saying a few words. And we're all kind of holding it together. Not because we're kind of sad, it's because 
uh, we're kind of half looking at each other going, this is a bit of a mad day. Where are we going afterwards? Who's and who's going to, you know, who's going to go with who? You're kind of thinking of the exit strategy going, what's going on here? It's nothing to do with Gamma. I called her Gamma. Yeah. Anyway, the priest goes, and that's it. And may she go to eternal life and la la la. But the next thing that happened was I didn't see it coming. So her, 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 her coffin starts moving on a kind of a trolley or something. And I'm sort of looking at people going, it's moving. And you can't really see how it's moving. And people start who are start slightly grinning at each other while we're holding hands. And it's moving. And while it's moving, a curtain starts opening behind it. And it, it's obvious the coffin is going to go through the curtain. But then the piece de resistance. Fucking Nat King Cole comes over the tannoy. Unforgettable. That's what you are. The coffin going through the curtain. Unforgettable. And all you can hear in the semicircle is. <coughs> Though near or far. <coughs> that's why, darling. <coughs> it's incredible. <laughs> la 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 la. So unforgettable. <laughs> Curtains close. She's gone. It made you unforgettable too. <laughs> Absolutely extraordinary moment where you're just going, I should be crying here. And we're all just the people who were talking to each other in the room bursting out laughing. Bizarre situation. If you ever want to get a laugh, go to a cremation of somebody in your family. It's the biggest hoot you'll ever go to. It beats burials any day. It's, oh, it's the Tommy Tiernan of dying. <laughs> It's the Tommy Tiernan of dying. I mean, listen, Brendan (laughs) Coffins is just to coffins and burials is just the Brendan O'Carroll. You'll be a few titters, maybe. But if you want to laugh your bollocks off, go to a cremation. (laughs) (laughs) Tommy Tiernan. That is gold. Okay. Oh, we have to move on because I'm going to choke from laughing. Yeah. Okay. Your no laughing matter moment, Mario. No laughing matter moment. Oh, boy. Um, Oh, yes. Well, no laughing matter moment is when somebody, two things, somebody when make somebody who makes you laugh because they know you share the same kind of riotous sense of I don't give a shit sense of humor as them dies. And that was Tony Fenton. Mm. And Tony made me laugh. And uh, but he also knew that I could make him laugh. So he used to just set me off. So, do you know, that way when you're with somebody yes. and, and they know. They know how you they know, you know how to make them laugh. So they just push certain triggers, even if it comes down to tell us about tell us about the briars. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. you'll go off on one about the briars yeah. or something or the mushrooms. <laughs> and uh, and and he, that'll have him in stitches. So Tony and I used to have each other in stitches, but he died. So that was no laughing matter um, for any of us because mm. it was a long process of saying goodbye to Tony. And there wasn't that much laughter involved because Tony had, um, you know, cancer and cancer is. There are moments of levity and, and lightheartedness, but, but it's depressing, really, to mm. see somebody um, so young and vital taken away um, from you at such a young age and such a person who didn't deserve to die. Now, I know you can't say a person deserved to die, but some people do more than others. Yeah. And I'm, obviously, I'm not going to mention any names. No. But there are people out there and you go, you didn't deserve to die, dude. Yeah. You had a lot more to give because he was an enabler, a giver, uh, a person who made other people laugh and made other people joyous and, and celebrated other people's happy days. He was a great sense of occasion. Did you know him at all? Not at all. No. Did you meet him? Never. Never met him. Never met him. Oh, that's yeah, Loved usual. listening to him. Yeah. Never met him. He was a great celebrator of people. So uh, he used to, he'd know it was your birthday. He'd find out it was your birthday and go, dear, happy birthday. I've got this for you. Uh-huh. And you're going, what? You hardly know me. Yeah. And he'd just make your day special and he'd play a request for then on the radio and you'd go, this guy Tony Fenton, he's incredible. I like him. Yeah. First time I ever met him, actually, not the first time I ever met him, but the first time I ever went out with him, Ian had informed, had, had alerted me to the fact that he was a bit special. And uh, I had this record uh, in 2005, which was uh, Leave Right Now when Roy Keane left Manchester United. Mm. And I released this record and I made this record on the radio and uh, it, it broke the Internet and it broke FM's Internet. Uh, actually, literally broke it that the engineers had to restart it because of the amount of messages that it received and they couldn't take the capacity. It did. And uh, so anyway, we said, well, that's got to be released. And we went, got it. 
if we get it out quick enough, you never know. It's for Christmas. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. So uh, we got it out for Christmas and um, we were only going to release it for one week. Limited availability. And Tony, you'd come in and go, dude, just want to ask you about that record. I went over to Paddy Power. I got eight to one. Stop. I went, You're going to make money out of my record. <laughs> so during the week, he'd come in and he'd go, how's my, how's my record doing? And we'd go, Tony, the midweek sales are fantastic. Good. So uh, anyway, it turned out Tony had, uh, I think, 2,000 euro, 2000 euro on the record. On Friday uh, before Christmas, the record went in at number one in the Irish charts. And I got a call. I was going, I was on the Ryan Tuberty show or something. And I got a call. And I went, dude, how's my record doing? Uh, and I went, it's number one. And he went, well, I went where are you? South Africa. <laughs> I just won 16,000. He went Stop. off the party. You are having a laugh. Yeah. He went. He won 16 grand on the record. Oh, my God. Being number one. And Talk about having absolute faith in you, though, to get... He did. He had faith in, every, in the record. Two yeah. grand. Two grand on the nose and eight to one and at one. And um, he went to South Africa to party for a, couple, for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> that was Tony. That is living. Brilliant. It's li- Oh, boy. If one person could live, it was Tony. Um... So the record went in at number one and um, Tony um, got the the, credit, the, the, the spondulics. But that was Christmas then. And then after Christmas, I didn't see him until after Christmas. And after Christmas, he rang me and he went, uh, dude, just want to take you out. Does a thanks for the thing. Oh, Tony, thanks a million. Yeah, it was some, some, some story. And he went, your wife is called Blanage, yeah? And, uh, and uh, I went, yeah. And uh, so he went, bring her too. And I went, are you sure? I mean... He wanted to go to dinner. So he wanted to take the two of us to dinner. And I thought, this is a bit strange. A man and his wife and his... Do you know? Third wheeling. Yeah. Third wheeling. No problem. We went to Peplos. Beautiful white ta- white linen table. Couple of bottles of wine. We had the night of nights. A great night together, the three of us. And it was that night. Because, you see, he totally charmed my wife. Mm. And very few people know that I call her Munch. By the end of the night, she's, they're high-fiving and he's going, <laughs> Munch, listen to this. <laughs> Dude, you go to the Jacks, Munch. I gotta tell you about. It. <laughs> and you're just there. My God, my wife has completely fallen in love with this guy. It must be only two hours. He had totally charmed her, not in a, a, a sexual way or a romantic yeah, yeah. way, in a friend way. Yeah, pals. Sure. Pals. She adored him, and she wouldn't normally take to people that quickly. Yeah. It takes time. Yeah. With with Munch, he just had a way, and he had a way, and there was three of us. And I just remember thinking, what class, classy guy, to be able to take a man and his wife out for dinner yeah. and charmed them both and we had a great night and the other thing about the night was it wasn't over the top we had a couple of bottles of wine between three of us but it didn't go nuts and that was Tony all over he was able to have a brilliant time without necessarily going absolutely ballistic mm-hmm. um, which a lot of us do Yeah, and um, he could actually make a night last while not kind of pushing the, 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 the destruct button yes but anyway, from then on, whenever I said I was going out with Tony, it was no problem with the money. <laughs> 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 because I go, I'm, I'm thinking of going out on Friday. Oh, well, with who, though? We ha- did we not have plans? With Tony. And she- oh, that's okay. <laughs> with Tony. Love it. Mario, the person you always laugh with. Oh, there's many. So um, for different reasons. My brother has a very similar sense of humor to me. So when we get going. Um, Rene would be my brother and we'd have a similar sense of humour we used to do skits when we were young where did his name come from? Rene? Yeah. Uh, I don't really know but there's actually a funny story there that goes back again to my grandmother Dorothy Dorothy um, taught me another thing in life and that was um, always be different okay so she really believed in being different and believing your own narrative so for example she'd go I don't believe this and I don't believe that and I don't believe that and uh, she'd go uh, we'd had a dog called Max but uh, she regarded the name Max as being too agricultural and and, uh, and bog standard. So she called him Twilight <laughs> and Wistful. He had two names. <laughs> so my grandmother and my grandfather would both go out to the steps at night to call in the dog. And he'd be there. Here, here, come on in, Max, Max, Twilight, Twilight. Shut up, girl, will you? Max, Max, Twilight, Wistful, Twilight. Max, Max, boy, come in, boy. <laughs> Max, Twilight, don't listen to him, Twilight. Can you imagine what? How fucked up the dog's brain was going. <laughs> he must have gone to a dog therapist going, doctor, I don't know who I am. John is calling me Max. The grandmother's calling me Twilight. 
You look like more of a twilight to me, honey. Um, and um, so she said, always believe what you believe and be different. And so my brother, Rene, yes. was called Rene. She didn't want to call him Rene. She didn't even want to call him that? No. She was Sasha. What? Yeah. At the beginning of his, of his life, she insisted on calling him Sasha. And my mother was going, would you stop calling him Sasha? His name is Rene. I don't like it. I like two names. Sasha or... In a, if you can't take Sasha, Nigel. <laughs> Nigel. And we were all just going, well, I wasn't because I was only a year older. Nigel is a shit name. <laughs> only dicks are called Nigel. What about Mario? Did she like Mario? Oh, loved Mario. Okay, well, that's Loved good. Mario. Okay, it, was, right. it, was, it was movie starish. Um, Go on anyway, so laughing with Rene. Laughing with Rene. Um, and then um, with Ian, I have different kinds of laughter because we talk about sometimes sketches that wouldn't get on the radio and we, we you know we know when it's not going to be on the radio but we have a laugh doing that and so it, it allows him an outlet to say funny things and me an outlet to say funny things and so we laugh quite a lot at that and another uh, friend my best friend Nick who is a different kind of laughter because he's really witty so Nick is just his dry sense of humour will pull the rug under from underneath you that's really um, interesting and one guy who used to always um, be able to take the piss out of me because that's what I do for a living take the piss but a guy called Rory, my friend Rory from school, was probably the only one who absolutely knows how to absolutely rip the arse out of me and just leave me kind of going, Christ. And everybody's laughing at his, let's say, impression of me. Yeah. And I'm going, it's not funny at all. And I'm doing the one thing that other people are doing when I take the piss out of them. So he's got this kind of ability to rip the piss out of me. Good. And finally, another uh, fellow who I slept beside in boarding school called Orion. O-R-I-O-N. Isn't that a good name? Cool. Orion. And Orion has got a kind of uh, um, um, a sort of a madcap sense of humor as well. And, and we get each other laughing. So those would be the people that laugh. And apart from that was Tony. And Paul Collins gets an honorable mention as well. Yes. When Paul gets on a roll, he is very, very funny, riotously funny. He, he's, he's completely reckless. I mean, none of it would be transmittable. I'm just out there, out there and reckless. And, but very, very funny. That's Paul the Collins. best kind of humour. It is, yeah. Um, Mario, a time where you had the last laugh. The last laugh. Well, that time is now, Darren. Because I'm telling you, they all said you wouldn't make it. And look at me now. I'm on Darren's podcast. Motherfucker. I made it. I'll tell you, you thought you thought I was a bowler haircut, didn't you? With my duffel coat and my and my briefcase. Well, I made it. You thought I was Don Johnson down in Cork, didn't you? Well, I'll tell you, I made it. You thought I didn't love my grandmother when I laughed at her and I sang Unforgettable. Well, I'll tell you, I made it. I made it, Darren. I made it besides and apart from everybody. I made it, Daryl. Or Daryl. 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 I made it, Darren. And I've had the last laugh. I. What else can I say? I don't know. What, you know. Uh, oh my god! So so so, uh, I, I don't see I don't see myself as a person who has who who, who gets likes to have the last laugh. We all like to have the last laugh, Mario. I don't buy that. People, anyone who's been on the podcast has said that. I'm not really a laugh last last laugh kind of person. But it's the worst thing you could claim to be. But it's not even. It doesn't need to be at another person's ex- expense. Mm. It can be at the universe, at life, and what people might have expected from you, but you went and proved them wrong. Yeah. It just it makes it, it's just a very un-Irish thing to have. And it's, it's so un-Irish to be the last laugh. Do you think? You know, well, I'll tell you something now. I grew up, I grew up as a bogman in County Mulhuddard. <laughs> and then eventually I got rich. And I'll tell you, I looked at all those agents and I went, <laughs> look who's had the last laugh now. Because the only people I associate with having the last laugh would be people like Michael Flatley, who's gone, be Jesus, I was grown up and I had nothing. I didn't have two crew beans to rub together, but I danced me little willy off. And now who has the last laugh, be Jesus? Or Bono. Bono has the last laugh as well. Because they didn't think, oh, that was shite, and now I'm the best. So it's so un-Irish to be and want the last laugh. That, yeah, okay. Because it's claiming you've won. Yeah. And you can't <laughs> claim in Ireland. No. You're, you have to say, I'm still struggling. Yeah. <laughs> so for all of those people out there, I'm still struggling. I haven't had the last laugh. In fact, I haven't laughed in months. <laughs> crying is what I'm I do. I'm fucking miserable. I'm miserable and I'm crying. And um, please don't run me over when I go out onto the street, although I deserve to be run over, to be honest with you, because I'm a useless piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, God. 
not okay. Okay, okay, okay. It's so un-Irish to be the last laugh. I mean, if you ask that in America, they'd go, hmm, the last laugh. Well, there's a number of occasions, yeah. to be honest with you. Yeah. When I had my first IPO, um, I went, you know, we went on the NASDAQ, or uh, was it the Dow Jones? I made 450 million euro. <laughs> but the, probably was the better one where I fucked over my friend Dave, and I married, I married Trisha. <laughs> I so fucked him over. Okay? That's only second, though. Second is when... My teacher, who told me I was a useless piece of shit, turned out working in a garage <laughs> in which I went in and I bought a Daimler 4329.0 for 400 grand. And I said, who would you like to write the check out, he said to. And I said, to you, you bitch. You said I'd be nothing. I had the last laugh, Darren. So it's an American thing, really. Oh, I have a fucking headache from laughing. Yeah. <laughs> Last laughs. Oh my god, okay, amazing. Right. Mario, if laughter wasn't the best medicine, what would be? A bottle of Chateau Margot, <laughs> a pound of camembert cheese, followed by a Tesco Belgian fudge chocolate cake, all down my neck. Because <laughs> when you can't get what you want, want what you get. And that's what I'd want. Uh, that's it. That's right up my street. Red wine, cheese, and <laughs> cake. <laughs> and then to go upstairs and take a shotgun to the weighing scales so that I never have to use it again. Oh and just God. blow the shit out of the weighing scales. <laughs> and go, I got away with it. And then do you know what I'd do? I'd go up to the weighing scales as it's lying tattered in the corner and I go... Guess who got the last laugh now, you bitch? I'm full of fudge cake. I'm full of red wine. And I'm not weighing myself. You digital fuck you. I'm going to wet my thumb. Oh, my God. Okay, right. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for your yeah. quick fire round? Oh, God, right. I didn't know about this. Yeah. Okay. The movie you always laugh at. Life of Brian would be one. Um, another one would be um, a, a real classic sitcom. Uh, a sitcom movie um, would be um, Meet the Parents. Classic, classic. absolutely structure on it. <laughs> um, and I love, I, I love Blades of Glory. Good one, Mel, or, um, Will Ferrell. Yeah. Um, movie that I always laugh at. Movie that there's so many, but um, yeah. there's three of them there. Okay, um, great. The actor. Jim Carrey, um, Will Ferrell, um, and I laugh at them because of their face as well, just the way they look. I love people who can make me laugh by just looking at them or walking into a room. Just you're Do you just laugh at yourself when you look in the mirror. No, 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 no. I'm deadly serious. I'm a serious. <laughs> I'm a serious. I'm a serious individual. Um, of course not. No. Do people say to you that it's incredible the ability you have to? morph your face to actually look like the person you're impersonating yes they do and i do have a plastic face so i do have a flexible face um and they do and ian often tells me that a lot because he sees me all the time yeah. doing it on stage and he, he's at every performance yeah. and he says you don't take it for granted that thing you're doing la, 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 la. and i went what thing when you're doing all the characters at the same time and i went why and he, and he went because you literally are changing into them yeah and i went but I'm not wearing any wigs in that part or any dresses. And yeah. he's like, it doesn't matter. People love just looking at into that face and just see, they can see you taking on the character of it. So um, uh, it's not, not something I particularly like watching, but, it, uh, but for people to say it, it's very nice. Yeah. So um, I appreciate that. And I think it only happens when you ultimately truly believe it yourself. Mm -hmm. When you believe you're inside that character, then it happens on your face. The yeah. muscles on your face are truly complex. I don't think we know a lot about the musculature of the anatomy mm -hmm. um, and the way our bodies function. But there is a I do believe there is a shaman-esque, uh, witch-like uh, possession aspect of being an actor or being um, a comedian that I think is very interesting. Uh, and I do think if you believe something strong enough, you can create enormously uh, interesting effects that, mm. that transmit to people. We are natural believers and storytellers. The ability of the human to believe another human telling a story is unsurpassed. It's it's we need stories. We love stories. We believe stories. And if your face changes, people go, they believe it. They're, they, in, they, it. they're in it. They're in it because we want to. 
Yeah. We're addicted to the stories. So that was the three films anyway that, it, that it, you know. The book you always laugh at. Or um, you laughed at, laughed out loud at. Oh, lots again. But um, the Tom Sharp has a, was, is a writer who um, has always made me laugh. He, uh, he wrote books about um, apartheid in, in uh, South Africa, which is, of course, a deeply, deeply dark subject. And he's just made them incredibly funny um, and really nasty and, you know, terribly on PC. Are you a big reader? Uh, no, I'm not a big reader. No. And much to my chagrin, I'm not a big reader. Again, I was speaking about this on the radio the other day. I w- Book shaming. No, no, not that. It was smart. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, um, it was the, the, the way the, the digital is pulling us away from everything and it's reducing my concentration span. Totally. And like I'm reading this book at the moment, a brilliant book called Sapiens. And um, uh, uh, it's all about how humans are, what they are and how they came to be and how they came to be in groups. And it's a it's quite a learned book, but written in a very conversational style. And I'm only getting through two pages a night before I, my brain is all over the place. Yeah. yeah. So I'm ashamed of myself in 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 relation to that. Um, but when you can get lost in a in a comic fiction, um, uh, it, it it's again it's like a movie. You're 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 giggling along, and, and Woody Allen's short stories make me laugh all the time. Always been a big fan of Woody Allen's short stories. Um, there's always a surprise in them. Um, and uh, yeah, the comedian you always love. Oh, so many. Um, so Ira, do you want to do you want to go? Do you want to go? Um, do you want to go? Uh, labels or Irish or yeah, whatever, anything. I love Tommy Tiernan. Love Dave McSavage. Uh, love um, Jason Byrne when he's on fire is just a, a sight to behold. Um, you know, I, I enjoy I enjoy an awful lot of the Irish comedians and. Um, in fact, I think the Irish comedians aren't mentioned enough in our discussion of these things. We're very funny, very funny people. And uh, um, in England, um, I do, on, although he's regarded as the comedian's comedian, I do love uh, Stuart Lee. I enjoy watching him, uh, although he's a bit of a kind of a snobby comedian in the sense that, you know, people go, they think, oh, he must be funny. If you like Stuart Lee, uh, it's kind of so I don't like go from for that reason. So I'll mention this name as well. Michael McIntyre, straight yeah. down the middle, pure observational comedy. Genius. Yeah. Absolute genius. Um, Robin Williams always made me laugh. Jim Carrey. I love watching Jim Carrey's early stuff because he was mixing impressions and twisting his face yeah. with stand up act. Um, if you want to watch something hilarious, watch Jim Carrey on YouTube walking into, I think it's Robert De Niro's IFI Achievement for Lifetime Award. And this is very stuffy. This is all Hollywood now. This makes the, this is, this makes the Oscars look like a drugs party. <laughs> it's like, you know, Bob is up there and he's got his tux on and everybody's beside him. He's going, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the president of the IFI, Norman Steenhausberger. Bobby De Niro has been an incredible asset to our uh, performance and you're just there this is so stiff yeah and yeah. then they go there's a comedian ladies and gentlemen please welcome mr jim carrey and he walks on in his tuxedo 10 minutes later he's torn the fucking place down and everybody is getting sick into their plates including de niro and norm Steenhouseberger. <laughs> and you're just going how can a man Go from there yeah. to making that happen. Yeah. It's because he completely pulls the rug from all of us as humans and go, just go crazy. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ability it's, that's it's like a pure and utter genius yeah. to just dominate a room mm-hmm. so much that people have no option but to just <laughs> fall around the place. Um, so many, many comedians. Um, I love Gary Shandling. I used to love Larry Sanders. Uh, I love sitcoms from the 70s uh, in England, some of them like Rising Damp. Uh, they would bring me back to when I was eight and nine and stuff. Leonard Rossiter. Um, I love the, the, the sketch comics. I love Saturday Night Live. Um, I, the Fast Show. I used to love The Fast Show. Monty Python, of course, hit and miss, but because so many of, it, so many of the hits were hits, uh, it was fantastic. Um, that was the week that was. David Frost, uh, Peter Cook. Very, very hard to beat Peter Cook. If uh, anybody could watch something, it's watch, watching Peter Cook being interviewed by Dudley Moore, um, um, talking about how Peter Cook plays a scientist who tries to explain to um, the interviewer, Dudley Moore, 
that he's been um, working on something for many, many years. And so Dudley Moore goes. So I'm joined by Professor uh, uh, John Strieb Griebling. No, it's Grieb Striebling. Sorry, Grieb Striebling. Now, Professor Strieb Griebling, what is your area of expertise? <laughs> well, my area of expertise has been for many years now. The uh, I'm concerned with the phenomenon or said phenomenon or the purposeful implementation of what it is like uh, for ravens to fly underwater. So you've been studying this for many years, is that right? Yes, um, I think it's 50 years now. 50 years uh, studying uh, ravens flying underwater and to see if they can fly underwater. And, and what is your, your, your conclusion after that 50 years? Well, my conclusion is that it is almost impossible for ravens to fly underwater. Oh, oh, I see. Impossible. Yes. You see, ravens are designed with, with wings, which enables them to fly through the air in flight. It's almost impossible when they go underwater for them to demonstrate the same you know, monodilithial uh, uh, um, flight uh, pattern. So what happens to these ravens? Generally, they die. Uh, <laughs> just going, so what it does is it rips the piss out of um, science yeah. and, po- and posers. Who rips yeah. the piss out of posers? But it's totally bizarre. And uh, so I, I urge anyone to look up um, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Okay. And uh, and that sort of stuff as well. Um. Finally, Mario, mm. your worst joke. What does that mean? Oh my! A worst joke. Yeah. Oh God. You know, like a terrible joke, but you love you love it. Terrible joke. Terrible joke, but I love it. Shit. Oh. Terrible joke, but I like it. Terrible joke, but I like it. I might give you a get out of jail free card, and you can just do an impression if you like. One, imp- uh, what would I love to see. Will you do Miriam again? You know, Darren, as a girl and as a woman, and I, mean, I know you haven't had sixteen children yet, but you're nearly there. I know you want to just have as many children are like jokes. You can do as many as you want, you know, and they'll always make you laugh. Not when they're coming out, but years later. Genuine. So that's my get out of jail card. Oh, my God. Mario Rosenstock, it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. Delighted to do so, Darren. Delighted to do so. Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Darren Garrahy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios.